20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody. Happy Saturday, and welcome back to the Pack a Day Podcast. This is episode number 416. I am Jason Perrone, along with my every other Saturday co-host, Paul Brettel. Paul, how are you, sir? I am doing fantastic, Jason. Happy to be back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Talk some Packers. It's been a while because we've had a few extra days to wait for game number two, which will take place on Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings, the Packers' home opener. They're going to be honoring Bart Starr, and so that's a cool thing. I know the last couple times they've tried to honor legends. The games themselves haven't always turned out great, but obviously I'm sure you would agree honoring Bart Starr at this point is is very appropriate and perhaps maybe even a little bit overdue. Oh, absolutely. I'm really excited. Me and my wife are actually going down to Lambeau area this afternoon uh, just to experience everything and see what they got going on. I'm excited. Yeah, that'll be awesome. It's kind of nice to be able to uh, – to just hop in the car and go down there. Uh, you know, for those of you who didn't know, I was at preseason game number four. Paul and I actually had a chance to meet, get together for a little bit, watch a little Brewers baseball, and I know that you've been really busy with that over at Dairyland and everything that you do there. So fingers crossed that uh, – Fingers whatever. crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed, right, for the Brew crew. So a uh, little bit of Packers news to talk about. We're going to focus on today's show uh, on the injury update and there was really kind of a quiet week leading up to, I guess, Thursday. And then all of a sudden, Thursday, we find out, and I guess by quiet week, I mean the Packers seem to escape Chicago pretty relatively injury-free. You know, they, they escaped the terrible Soldier Field turf for what, for what that's worth and a physical game against the Bears. And everything seemed to be happy and good. And then Thursday, we find out that David Bakhtiari sat out practice, which, of course, is concerning because David Bakhtiari is one of the team's best players as their left tackle. And we didn't really get much of an update on what was going on other than it was a a back issue. Now, we know, obviously, at this point that he did practice on Fridays listed as questionable, which means that he may be tip, he may actually be questionable or he may be probable because probable is not a designation that teams have an option to use anymore but it looks like unless something catastrophic happens that he's going to try to play on Sunday which is obviously the best case scenario but Paul when you first hear the news that Bakhtiari is missing practice as late as Thursday what's going through your mind uh, it's very worrisome when you think about Packers that are going to be out. Obviously, number one is Aaron Rodgers. Uh, number two for me would be David Bakhtiari. Uh, he plays that much of a role. And just with the, I guess, lack of depth at that position, we know Balaga's good. Billy Turner's versatile. But, you know, he struggled at tackle over his career. And then Alex Light's inexperienced. Um, that would be a huge gap, especially going up against Minnesota with uh, – Hunter and Griffin as the edge rushers. So would have probably wreaked a lot of havoc on Rodgers. So I'm glad, and I do think he's going to play. Bakhtiari said on Friday he's going to continue to work with the trainers the next 48 hours um, to keep the back issue from regressing to where it was. And if they keep doing that, he says he thinks he has a good chance to play. Yeah, I I heard the same thing. And I think hopefully Bakhtiari has – 
attached himself at the proverbial hip to Aaron Rodgers. So if Rodgers plays, Bakhtiari plays. So you think back to week 17 last season when there was absolutely nothing to play for. And Aaron Rodgers decides he's going to get out there and he's going to play. Well, I think in another scenario, Bakhtiari probably sits out that week 17 game, but he dressed and played because if Aaron Rodgers is out there, I'm going to be out there. It's it's a great tandem, and so I think you'll you'll see 69 doing everything he can to get on the field. So you kind of mentioned in your your thoughts there alter, an alternate scenario, but kind of talk us through how this might shuffle some things around. If he can't play, what do you think are scenarios A and B to mitigate that loss? Or to try, I shouldn't say they can't mitigate it, but to try. Right. Um, so option A, I think, would be moving Billy Turner from right guard to left tackle. The Packers have said that he is their swing tackle. Um, so he's going to be you know, first to move over there before they would go to Alex Light, who I think would be option B. Um, but if Turner is over at left tackle... Elton Jenkins is going to go into right guard. Like as, as I mentioned, Turner over his career, he struggled a lot more at tackle than he has at guard. So I think if he did have to start there, I would hope that we would see a lot of Mercedes Lewis on the left side there with him just to help uh, help him block. And, you know, that's Aaron Rodgers' blind side and just make sure to keep him upright. Yeah, shade that protection over and and try to, to... – I guess negate a little bit of that Vikings pass rush, and it really brings into focus just what the Packers are facing over the first four games of this season from their oppositions. They've all got a really good front on defense. So they've got the Vikings this week, and we're familiar with with the Vikings. Griffin looked good in week one. It looks like he might be having a bounce-back season. Daniil Hunter had a phenomenal 2018 no surprise there. Linval Joseph up front, you know, and then you've got the linebackers. Eric Hendricks is very active. Anthony Barr is still back there too. Mike Zimmer is a defensive guy. So the Vikings are going to bring it, especially on the road. They've got to try to steal one here at Lambeau Field. They're not favored. And, you know, there's some that are picking the Vikings to win this game. They, they're they not quite trusting and they're not quite sure who the Packers are yet. But, you know that Minnesota is going to throw everything but the kitchen sink at Green Bay. And then just sneaking a peek ahead, then in week three, you've got the Denver Broncos coming to Lambeau Field. They've got a good pass rush, although they didn't look too great on Monday night against the Raiders, but that could have just been week one working out some kinks and rust. But I think we can agree losing to John Gruden's Raiders is never a good look. <laughs> and then in and then in week four, it's it's the Eagles. So... It's not just this game. I mean, a back issue is not something that tends to just clear up and all of a sudden everything is good and, and happy. This, you know, this is something that could linger on throughout the season. So, you know, hopefully we're not talking about it every single week and we don't have backgate with David Bakhtiari. But obviously, you know, if if it is something that's going to linger, then the Packers might have some some interesting decisions to make in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. And their schedule, you know, it's favorable in the sense that with a new coaching staff, they get to start out with a number of games at home right away. But as far as the defenses that they have to go up against, those front sevens, you know, with Matt LaFleur's offense, which is, you know, predicated on establishing the run, these are tough defenses to establish the run on, which just has a trickle-down effect, as we saw last week. 
you know, that's going to affect the passing game and they make that much more difficult for Rodgers. So those defensive fronts that they have right away are just, it, it's challenging. And as you said, they need Bakhtiari to be able to play in all of them and hopefully he can. Yeah, so that's the biggest news injury-wise coming out of out of Green Bay. Uh, on the on the Minnesota side of things, we'll go there for a second before we come back to some other Packers injury news. You've got a depleted secondary. So Mackenzie Alexander appears like he won't play. Mike Hughes is listed as doubtful. It's very unlikely that he plays. So the Vikings don't have a preferred or a true nickel corner, and that might cause them to have to shift some things around. Now, as far as their safeties go they've got a, a much better safety tandem this year and I think that's one thing that they could do to try to help in that situation I mentioned Eric Hendricks he's not a safety he's a linebacker but he's also very fast and good um, so I don't I'd like to think it might present some opportunities for the Green Bay offense to move their personnel around you know you can take a Devontae Adams and maybe you know move him into the slot although I think with the situation being what it is I, I would expect Minnesota to maybe tell Xavier Rhodes that you're shadowing 17 all day. I don't care where he goes. You follow him. Are you kind of expecting the same? Yeah, absolutely. So I rewatched the Vikings-Falcons game from last week, and what they did with Julio Jones was, for the most part, Xavier Rhodes was on him, but there was a safety hovering over the top on almost every play. So now you would, or at least I would assume that that may be a similar approach that they would use with Devante, but with Alexander out, Hughes, I mean, doubtful, likely to be out. They might not be able to do that because depending who they have on the other side of the field, opposite of Rhodes and um, after Trey Waynes, I mean, they're going to need someone on MVS and Geronimo, uh, Jimmy Graham, the tight end. So it might open things up more for Devante because they might not be able to specifically send the safety to his side of the field every time now. Yeah, this is another opportunity for Matt LaFleur to showcase some of his creativity and how do you exploit a matchup issue. Some of the best head coaches in the history of the game have been really good at doing that, at morphing their team into whatever fits best against the defense or the offense that they're going up against. So I'm hopeful that they can draw something up here because it's crazy to think about this. I saw a stat from Eric Thompson who who writes for the Daily Norseman over at uh, SB Nation that it's been almost a thousand days since the Packers have beaten the Vikings the last time they they did was on on Christmas Eve of 2016 I was in the house for that game and I took my son that was his first time at Lambeau Field <laughs> and it was a great obviously a great holiday because the Packers beat the Vikings knocked them out officially of any hopes of making the postseason and then continued on their run the table run. But is this just surreal to you that the the Packers have not beaten the Vikings? I mean, they should have probably in week two last year. We all know how that turned out with the tie. They have not been able to in three tries get a victory at U.S. Bank Stadium. I think it's time for the Packers to put a focus on this and kind of put their stamp on this division because the other thing, Paul, is you win this game, you start 2-0 and in the division, and you start 2-0 and in general, things are looking, percentage-wise for the Packers, looking pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the sense they're the Packers' last win against Minnesota, this will be the first, assuming full game, that Aaron Rodgers is completely healthy. Is in 2017, the first game of the year is when he broke the collarbone. 
Obviously, he missed the next one. Brett Hundley was in. 2018, he hurt his knee in week one against the Bears. Um, so in week two and then later on in the season as well, he was still injured. So this will be the first fully healthy Aaron Rodgers that the Vikings have seen since 2016. But that's not to take away from what they've done. Mike Zimmer and that defense has really stifled Aaron Rodgers in this Packers offense. Um, it, they've just made it incredibly challenging for them to move the ball. And then, as you said, at U.S. Bank, they, they've just struggled immensely. But being able to start 2-0 in the division, uh, the Vikings will be 0-1 in the division. The Bears will be 0-1 in the division. The Lions haven't played anyone yet. Uh, that's just a huge, huge head start that they'll have. Paul, you earn bonus points for saying the Lions haven't played anyone yet because, as you know, as some of you know who follow me, I live in the Phoenix area, and I'm not a, I'm not a big supporter of the Cardinals for many reasons. Uh, I have my own childish, petulant reasons why I don't support the Cardinals, namely because they, they ruin the Packers' playoffs a lot. It's happened yes. twice, and I was there live for the 2009 game, which was, which was uh, very entertaining if you were not a Packers fan, but otherwise... Um, and uh, the the tie heard around the world. I mean, the Lions had that game. You know, Andy Herman, our our, uh, our founder. You know, I jumped on a show with him last week or this past week on Monday, and he put it perfectly. The Lions just have this tendency to to pull defeat from the jaws of victory, <laughs> and <laughs> well and said. it was uh, it was it was a fun to, it was fun to watch. It was an entertaining game. I'm sure the uh, the Lions wish it turned out differently, but for the Packers' purposes. That's great. And the Lions, you know, that's another thing we'll talk about in a, in, whenever they face them the first time in October. They've got a Monday night game to kick off that that series, too, and they haven't beat the Lions in the last four tries either. So the, the Packers have some work to do in the division. So I, I hope that I hope that they've got their, their focus on, and I'm sure they're looking to start out strong. You know, it would, it would kind of be a bummer for Matt LaFleur to win his first ever NFL game on the road against the Bears and then come home with momentum and a, and a good chance to win and really a game that the Packers should win and then lay a little bit of an egg and don't do it. And especially if they're honoring Bart Starr. So there's a lot of, lot of pressure on the Packers a little bit here. Yep. I was just going to say that Vikings at home, Bart Starr weekend, you got to win, baby. You do got to win. And I would have thought they would have done the same thing in 2015 when they had Bart Starr there to honor Brett Favre. But on that rainy Thanksgiving night, it was not to be. And that, that was that. So getting back to the Packers here. So we, we talked about Bakhtiari some good news that the Packers did get was Jair Alexander was also added to the injury report on Thursday. Uh, he practiced in full on Friday, and it looks like Jair is going to be good to go. Uh, but there was a there was a time there then, Paul, where we're staring down the barrel of potentially not having David Bakhtiari or Jair Alexander against a team like the Minnesota Vikings. Not the kind of scenario we know that's okay that he's going to play now, but that previous scenario is not what you want. No, not at all. We talked about Bakhtiari, but Jair, what, what the Packers need from him is I assume he's going to be on Stefan Diggs is they need him in one-on-one to basically, you know, Diggs and Thielen, they're both going to get their production. They're just, you know, they're superstars. They're really good players, but it's just limiting it. And I think what the Packers hope is, is that Jair can limit uh, Diggs as much as he can. So that'll allow them to provide some help to either King or Brown on Adam Thielen. You know, if they don't have to be as concerned about Diggs knowing Jair's there, you know, they can give some safety help over with uh, Thielen. And so if Jair wasn't able to play, that would throw a whole wrench in, you know, that whole kind of game plan and just would have made things incredibly difficult. It would have, because then you're relying more on Tony Brown. You're relying more, maybe you're, you're, playing Kevin King more snaps 
Um, and I'm not even sure Kevin King is on a pitch count. I, I don't think that's the case. We've seen one game so far. But uh, Josh Jackson then plays more. I mean, these guys have made plays for the Packers defense in the past, but the consistency hasn't always been there. I look at Josh Jackson as somebody who's been really, really, I'm using the word interesting, actually not just as a filler. I really literally mean it's been a very interesting situation because I can't tell how much he's progressing by based on how much he's gotten onto the field. You would think not much, but then you also have to remember that Jair's taken a step forward. Kevin King is healthy. Tony Brown is in year two, and you've now got two good safeties on the back end. So I think all of that probably plays a factor. But just any real quick thoughts on on Josh Jackson? I mean, he's a second-round pick from, from a year ago, so you still want to try to develop that and hopefully get your investments worth. Yeah, I agree, and I think the during training camp, him missing, what was it, the first two, three weeks at least, there's no way that that – that that helped him um you know we all hope for those year two jumps for the second year guys but you got to be on the field to do so and that kind of put him behind the eight ball you know tony brown emerged uh, in training camp in the preseason kadar holman took a lot of first team second team reps with uh josh jackson being out so i think he just fell a little bit behind and the packers you know early on or in any game you got to go with what you know and who you can trust and tony brown's earned that right and Kevin King, when he's been healthy, he's been a very good player on the field. So they have their guys, and he's just going to have to take advantage of the opportunities that he's given. Yeah, and i I think you'll see I think you'll see Josh Jackson make a couple of plays this year. I mean, we remember the the home game against the Vikings in Week Two last year when he blocked that punt, or actually he recovered it. Geronimo Allison blocked the punt, but he recovered it in the end zone for a touchdown. And I talk all the time about players who, even if it's a gimme that make plays that are put in front of them. They're not afraid to seize the moment. And Josh Jackson just looked like the type of guy that could be a little bit of a dog on defense and the type of player that this defense has needed for a long time. And obviously we didn't have our crystal ball to know that after 2018, there would be swapping out their head coach and they were going to bring in these great free agents, you know, um, Josh Jackson looked like he could become an integral piece of the defense. But the nice thing is, is that because of some of those moves that they made, he doesn't have to be, and they don't have to force him into that role. And I think bring him along a little bit more slowly. You make a really good point reminding us that he missed a lot of the first part of the preseason and training camp, which is obviously not ideal for any player. And sticking on the secondary, you know, another player who is starting to make his or trying to make his way back is rookie cornerback Kadar Holman, who's been dealing with a neck injury that he suffered against the Chiefs in preseason game four. So Holman is um, is questionable. I don't expect him to play. And I would think that really has more of a special teams impact than anything. You know, he showed well in the defense, but as far as Holman goes, I mean, are you are you on that same page there where it's he's probably more of a, a special teams situation at this point and maybe spotty on defense? Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, he was really impressive during training camp in the preseason, and I, his, honestly, he was one of my favorite guys to watch. He's just really good man. He's got kind of that dog mentality like Jair and Tony Brown do. But he's still a rookie. You know, he still needs to learn and develop. You know, is Jair King, Tony Brown, um, Tremont Williams, you know, Josh Jackson are all probably ahead of him. So it's like you said, it's more of a special teams impact that he would make than on the de defensive side of the ball. Yeah, yeah, and I think I've talked about it in the past. 
he was a great pick by Brian Gutekunst and his scouting staff because even though he doesn't bring a ton of skill, he's got the speed, but he doesn't bring a ton of skill yet. He's It's the mentality. He's really smart. Mm-hmm. He's a smart player, and he's also the type of guy that could become one of the sneaky leaders on the defense as he matures just because of his mentality. And so you've just improved your culture. And those are the, those are the kinds of moves that I was calling for them to make as they had an opportunity to replace Mike McCarthy and start to kind of go in a different direction. Do you kind of see the same? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Gutekunst did a really good job this draft in the lower part. You know, you think about Kingsley Kiki in the fifth, um, Dexter Williams potential in the sixth, Kadar Holman, Ty Summers. I mean, just as a whole in that back end, he got a lot of playmakers. And what he, you know, he's going for the the athletes, and I think it's paying off so far. And I just want to jump back to Josh Jackson real quick. Um, I think part you mentioned bringing him along slowly. You know, he's got a I think he's got a steeper learning curve than a lot of the younger guys do. Uh, Mike Pettin is big on man coverage in his defense. That's what he wants from his guys. Uh, Tony Brown, Jair King, Holman, they're all very good at that, and they've done it in the past. Uh, Jackson coming out of Iowa, they played zone. You know, so he's got to learn those skills and all of that. And so I think that's why his development's coming along a little bit slower. Yeah, I think a lot of those things are true. I just think the flexibility that the defensive staff has with any of these players is great. Anytime you can limit, you can give guys a break and limit their their snap count. I mean, do you ever want to pull Jair Alexander off the field? No, but it's nice to have that option if you get way, way up. Or even if you're up, you know, two scores, three scores, where you might be questionable of taking some of your starters out. But you're like, no, I can do that because we've got enough flex behind them to make it work you know it's it's never a bad thing and i i think we might have talked about this on our last their last recording but if we didn't just real quick i'm sure you're a supporter of it but your thoughts on mike Petton being on the sideline now versus up in the booth oh i absolutely love it um just to be able to relay information quicker to everyone uh you know it's one thing for Petton to radio down to you know the defensive backs coach what he wants and then the defensive backs coach relays that information to Jair for example you know that way versus Petten being right there to tell him it's just very different how it's you know how Jair may perceive it or anything like that so I, I think it's just more streamlined and it's better for for the defense yeah I agree it worked in week one they seemed really fired up and excited and if it's going to help to have him down there to be able to talk to his players and get more involved and a little more granular on game day then i'm all for it i think it's great um one other guy that came back to practice although it doesn't look like he may play this week but for packers fans who love the guys that they love and they love their favorite names darius shepherd actually showed up at practice this week so he's starting to make his way back um, after making the final roster but not having appeared in week one Looks like Shepard practice, but appears that he's not going to play. We talked before the show, and you made a good point. Alan Lazard is still on the roster, so there's probably a good chance that Shepard's not quite ready to go. But obviously, moving in a good direction because I see Shepard playing or coming in as an opportunity once the Packers feel confident that they can start using both he and Trevor Davis on kick returns. And then you've got a two-headed monster. I don't know if you remember back to, I think it was 2011, when 
I think it was Johnny Knox was with the <laughs> Chicago Bears along with Devin Hester. And mm-hmm. they were such a formidable team that the Packers punted and the Bears actually faked Green Bay's coverage into thinking the ball was going to Hester when it was actually going to Knox. And it was, if it wasn't for a penalty, Knox was up the sideline for a touchdown and no one even knew he had the ball. So, I mean, that's obviously an extreme case, but I do think that that's what Darius Shepard might add is some really great options and great opportunity in the return game. And do you, do you, I mean, do you see that too? Or do you expect him to get integrated into the passing game? Um, I'll be honest. I didn't think about that from the return perspective, you know, on kickoffs or punts, having both of them back there. But I do, I do really like that. Um, and I, I think his biggest impact is going to come on special teams. What I always liked about him was what he brings to the offense. They didn't really have that style of receiver. You know, he's kind of similar to a Randall Cobb, and they didn't bring in that type of receiver. So I just like that they have, you know, it's just something different that they can deploy. But you know, this Matt LaFleur offense, there's a lot more running back usage. We saw the tight ends utilized a lot more last week, which I thought was just fantastic. And so I don't, they're not going to run more than, you know, three receivers out on the field a ton. So I just don't see his impact on offense being a ton. But like I said, I like what he brings to the table. Yeah, I'm apt to trust the staff. I mean, they've got a good roster this year. This This team just seems to have some really good good momentum and good things going on for them. And then fortunately, you know, the big, the big reason and the purpose of our show today, talking about the health of the team, fortunately we seem to have better news than not. I mean, obviously things can change and, but I, yeah, this they, is weird. It is, but <laughs> it, it's uncharted territory. Cause we're so used to them being banged up and like us, you know, having pages, I would have almost had to reach out to Andy and say, Hey, do you mind if we do an hour long show? Because <laughs> there's going to be that many names on the list, but fortunately there isn't. And I'll say this about David Bakhtiari. He, he just know he's a gamer. He's a tough guy. I mean, the Packers have been so blessed at certain positions. They've had quarterback l- uh, luck. And as far as left tackles go, I mean, I know they struggled for a couple of years in between Clifton and finding Bakhtiari. But to, to have a guy like this, and, and especially to come out of the middle rounds of a draft, and he was slated to be the right tackle. They were going to move Balaga to left. Balaga tears his ACL on family night, and David Bakhtiari's thrown in at his rookie year right out of the gate as a left tackle. But he made it work. You know, I don't want to take him for granted. This is a great opportunity for us to recalibrate and really appreciate what Bakhtiari brings to the to the game. You know, and you know what else is interesting too is uh, I was just remembering how on earth did David Bakhtiari make All Pro but not the Pro Bowl last year? <laughs> I've often wondered that myself, and all my takeaway from it is that's what the Pro Bowl is. That's all you need to know about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, it's a hundred percent true. The Pro Bowl is uh, is is kind of a sad sad situation at this point. Now it's never been great, but it's definitely not gotten better over the years, which is unfortunate. So um, that'll do it for the injury portion. And before we go, Paul, uh, we have to actually have some fun speculation to talk about, which just kind of hit the wires over the past couple of days. So the Miami Dolphins obviously had a really rough week one, got smoked by the Baltimore Ravens, and immediately afterwards we heard that a lot of Dolphins players were contacting their agents and telling the team that they wanted out, they wanted to move on. There's obviously a very toxic situation going on there in Miami, which is really uh, stands out to me because it's Brian Flores' first season there, and so it's gotten mm-hmm. that bad already. I don't know what's going on or why. I mean, I know that you know players sometimes see – that their season is not going to go the way they hoped. They're not going to win a ton of games. 
and they they go in a different direction. I mean, we can all think of one example that happened in Green Bay two years ago when Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. One of his um, teammates decided <laughs> that he didn't want to play in Green Bay anymore. So, um, what's your what's your take on what's going on there in Miami? Uh, they're going full tank. I mean. We've, we've seen it in basketball quite a bit, but this is the first, and let me know if you can think of something else, but this is the first football one where they're ditching all their good players. And, you know, I don't think, obviously, in practice on Sundays, the coaching staff's not out there. The players aren't out there, you know, intentionally trying to lose. But I don't think management's going out of their way to help them win either, if that makes sense. Um, and, you know, it'd be a tough situation for the players to be in, but... I think they're they're looking to the future, and that's what they're doing. They must have liked what they saw then in the first week of college football because if they're tanking, you can only assume that they're maybe trying to find a quarterback. But here's the other thing, though, Paul. You just got Josh Rosen kind of <laughs> right. in a similar situation. Now, Rosen may not be the answer. Obviously, he couldn't even beat out Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I understand that. I completely understand that. That That's obviously a lack of confidence in Rosen there, but you've got – a young quarterback who was a first round pick under a very manageable contract for the next couple of years. And here you are potentially looking at bringing in yet another quarterback of the future. It's, it's just a really unique situation um, to see. And there were some jokes made. So obviously the Packers tie in here is that Minka Fitzpatrick, the defensive back who was drafted last year and rumored the Packers were rumored to have interest in him. Uh, he was taken before they picked has been granted permission to seek a trade between he and his agent. So there's been a lot of talk about what the Dolphins might want for him. The most prevalent thing that I've heard is they want at least a second-round pick. To me, if it's a second-round pick and I'm Brian Gutekunst, I am on a plane to physically hand a card with my second-round pick <laughs> over to the Dolphins for Minka Fitzpatrick because he's that good and he's that sure of a prospect that you have no problem parting with a, a higher pick, even if it was a first-rounder. I mean, we talked a bit before the show. He's he's that type of talent, and he's a great type character-type player. But, the you know, the Packers are rumored to be interested. I don't know how much, you know, the truth there is to that because that didn't come from Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter. But they've been rumored to be interested. The Dolphins have some some offers to dig through and pick through. But somebody joked that we're going to find out that the Packers landed Fitzpatrick only to find out that it was actually Ryan and not <laughs> Minka in a, in a trade or a trade scenario. Um, I don't know how much truth there is to any of that, but obviously Minka Fitzpatrick is uh, would be a great add to this defense. I know that we talked before the show, but I mean, doesn't that just kind of make the hair stand up a little bit on the back of your neck, just thinking about how good the defense would be? Absolutely. Like you said, I would be 100% fine with giving away a first rounder for him. I mean, he's only in his second season uh, and it's a really affordable contract. The Mike Pettin defense is built on two things, athleticism and versatility. That's Minka Fitzpatrick, folks. He had a relative athletic score 9.05 out of 10. Um, last year, he played 379 snaps in the slot. 281 lined up out wide, 166 is the free safety, and 95 in the box. He's a Swiss Army knife. Petten can do whatever he wants with them. Um, ideally, I think he wants to be that in that slot receiver role. So if he were to come to Green Bay, obviously snaps are going to be taken away from a player or two, and I think that person would probably be Jermon Williams. I think that Minko would end up being the slot guy for the most part. Um, but 
his contract was a four-year, $16.5 million, and the Dolphins have already paid 64% of it. I think his cap hit the next three years at its peak is like $6 million. Just an absolute steal, and I would, like you said, if I was Gutekunst, I would do whatever I could to get him here. It would just put this defense over the top. Yeah, I think it would be a great move. I mean, you mentioned Tremont Williams. We love him. Obviously, we're all very appreciative of everything that he's done for this team. And when he came back, I was excited to have him back last year. But let's be honest, if you have a chance to replace Tremont Williams with a Minka Fitzpatrick, that is a best-case scenario. And then you're you're using Tremont in spottier situations. And I don't – you know, I, I, I would hope that by the end of this season, the Packers' vision is that Tremont isn't – playing as much as he did in week one he's still very good and he's still very capable but over the course of a full season you know I don't know how well he holds up I mean he is getting up there in football years obviously he's a young man but he's getting up there in football years so you eventually have to move on why not move on with the surest thing out there Um, and great great work on the research with the stats there because that's just this is this is just this is like literally the pipe dream like in reality exactly he'd, he'd be a, he'd be an ideal fit i mean think you got the smiths clark lowry up front raven green martinez in the middle fitzpatrick jair kevin king tony brown darnell savage adrian amos Oof. getting goosebumps thinking about that jason yeah opposing offense <laughs> is not gonna not gonna love that and obviously any move that gets made right now would not impact this weekend's game it would you know, and I don't know if there will be a trade completed. Um, you know, if by the end of today, it could be a done deal. I expected to wake up and hear news of of him going somewhere. And you know, unfortunately, as a Packers fan since the mid '80s, you know, my my mind and my heart, my or my mind is not letting my heart believe that it's going to be the Packers because we've seen them bid and get involved in a situation like this, only to get outbid by another team. I saw that the Jets were potentially a team of interest. So if you're the Dolphins, you have to weigh the con of trading him in the division with the pro of getting the best second round pick or whatever round, whatever position pick they end up getting for him next year. So it's, it's going to be kind of a fun situation to watch. I mean, I mildly hopeful that the Packers can pull something like this off. But one thing we know, again, he was on Brian Gutekunst's radar. So this is a player that I mean there's no reason not to go after this especially when you when you look at the numbers you gave us no reason not to go after it. I think the Packers have been in the conversation but I think the Dolphins are mulling mulling their best opportunity. I mean it's a smaller I don't know if it's a smaller example but Deshaun Kaiser was on the Packers radar during the draft too and they had the opportunity to go and get him and they got him so right yeah. If we're looking for if we're looking for that little sliver of hope. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And they were then they made it. They made kind of a big move at the time in trading Demarius Randall for for Kaiser. So you know mm-hmm. you make you make a great point, Paul. I feel even better about this now. I'm energized. There you I'm go. Charged. All right. <laughs> I'm charged up. Well, that's that's pretty much it for Saturday's show. Um, so we'll do any final thoughts uh, that you have on this game or any of the other injury news that we talked about. Um, I think this week's game is going to be another tough defensive battle. I think the defenses are going to dominate the game. Um, big thing I'm hoping to see the Packers have to do is slow down Dalvin Cook. Um, you know That Vikings offensive line is very shaky. Get Kirk Cousins to drop back. The Smiths, Clark, whoever they send Blitzen will be able to get some pressure. And he's shown in the past that he'll make mistakes. So I think that's the key on the defensive side. Offensive side, 
I still think they're going to struggle. It's only week two. It's another tough defense, but I think they'll do enough to get the win. I'm going 17-13 Packers. Okay, another somewhat lower scoring game, although compared to last week, that's much higher scoring. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I same thing, too. You know, in the preseason when I went through and picked every game before we had any idea of what this team was going to look like, this was a game I had them winning. And I didn't actually – I didn't have them initially winning week one, so I had them coming in and, and getting their first win against the Vikings. Now this is kind of a really, really golden opportunity, like I said, for them to start 2-0 and in the division and really get a big leg up on the NFC, the – NFC North, all those things that they have to check off in order to get themselves back into postseason contention. So as far as the score goes, um, I could see a 2013 type of a situation. I think it, I think the same thing. I, I don't I don't think we're going to get up into the 30s here. Hopefully not. And and the nice thing, too, is, is hopefully this year the Zebras aren't uh, overly flagging <laughs> the Packers for roughing the passer. Of course, Clay Matthews isn't on the on the defense anymore. So hopefully we don't run into that issue. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And last year's tie was so crushing i mean it kind of set the tone for the whole season do you think things could have been different a little bit you know if they had started off 2-0 and and they went into washington that next week and you could tell they just had this lackluster performance and then from there it was just all downhill so yeah hopefully none of that yeah yeah and it also cost jair alexander his first nfl interception which would have been a (laughs) game sealer and you know those types of things elevate players and teams and yeah, it's it's the butterfly effect. One small thing that happens, which mm-hmm. wasn't small, it was the result of a game. But you know, a couple small plays in that game turn it into a tie, and then all of a sudden the the rest of the season unravels a little bit. So, all right, well, Paul, it's been a, it's been fun and as we, always, yes, as always, and we will. So we're on our, our rotation of every other Saturday. So we will do this in two weeks' time. Have a couple of other. Uh, games results to to know about and talk about, and hopefully have some good news, and hopefully. In two weeks' time, we're breaking down new Packers defensive back, Minka Fitzpatrick, and how well he has fit into the defense. <laughs> so uh, we fingers shall – yeah, fingers crossed. We shall see. But uh, everybody enjoy the game. Go Pack Go. This has been the Pack-A-Day podcast. <laughs>